Merry Christmas! Happy Holidays, everyone! Today is Christmas Day, isn't it, Carrie? It is. Aww. We haven't missed it. I know, it's still... Ah, you're funny. <laughs> Yoo-hoo! <laughs> Young boy! <laughs> little boy! What day is it? <laughs> <laughs> did you hear them? Did I kind of heard did, Gavin. Did you hear him when he said that? <laughs> it's Christmas Day. Gavin said, Gavin finished the line upstairs. He's <laughs> over our heads. He can hear us. Oh, my goodness. Guys, who's ready? <laughs> oh, man. It's not what we're accustomed to, but who's ready? I'm ready. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where you keep Christmas in your way, and I will keep it in mine. I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And this week we are talking about the 2009 computer-animated Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol. Oh, guys, it's Disney, but it's good. It's so good. Oh, my goodness. Before we get started, <laughs> don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. Don't <laughs> you can write the show at kicking and streaming podcast at gmail.com. That is with an N, not an F for San. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet. We want everyone to come and join our little holiday watch party. Y'all. Y'all. <laughs> it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> Oh, streaming bells, streaming bells, <laughs> streaming all the way. I love you guys for being here with us at the end of the year, at the end of this terrible year. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Let's watch this dumpster burn. Yes, yes. And you know what? No, no New Year's resolutions this year. No, I saw a post <laughs> on social media the, the, the other day that was like, I can see no one is claiming 2024 to be their year. <laughs> like, we've obviously learned our lesson. And I'm no longer asking people how they are. It's a stupid question. <laughs> question. It's yeah. more of a courtesy than anything. It's a question no one ever answers truthfully. <laughs> but in lieu of asking us how we are, please go over and check out the Patreon. Please, guys, because you need to make every single one of Carrie's tears mean something this <laughs> holiday season. I hate that you keep putting it that it's way. It's not no work, guys. So for just $5 a month, you're getting access to all of the fucking content we've already put out. It's a lot of content. We do, You've got access to all of last year's long-form television and bonus content coverage and all of this year's hey you're two on patreon give me a high five yeah guys we're especially excited right now because we are doing long-form coverage right now for you here at the end of the year in about mm, five or six days or so you're gonna be coming to the end of our Tolkien coverage. We covered the entirety of the Lord of the Rings film saga, guys. It's all waiting for you there. You just gotta sign up and become a little onion at the $5 level. And it is worth mentioning at this time, we are going to be taking an extended hiatus this year. Oh, yeah. No, so, it's, this is last coverage, isn't it? Yeah. So, on main feed. So, yeah, guys. Uh, if you're gonna be starved on the main feed for the both of us, you might want to go check out the Patreon, because that just might get you through the winter, okay? Absolutely, you know? Christmas comes but once a year. But for one man. Ah! Humbug. That's once too often. But this holiday season, 
Is someone there? He'll be given a second chance to get his life right. He will be halted by three spirits. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over with? Walt Disney Pictures. And Image Movers Digital present. Jim Carrey. In a new vision of the classic tale. <laughs> like you've never seen it before. What's happening? <laughs> In Disney Digital 3D and IMAX 3D. One of the best, spookiest holiday narratives of all time. Pretty much the spooky holiday narrative. <laughs> Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. Now I know what you're thinking. Carrie, Ross, you covered this already. Yes, <laughs> we did. But, but in Muppet form. Yeah, and like, guys, that's the thing. That's what I love about A Christmas Carol is there are many elements that are portrayed differently across, you know, film, television, the stage. Like, there are many ways to do this, and that's part of why I love A Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol is one of the most adapted works of all time. Yeah, like, th the moment it was published, we were already in stage production. Which reminds me, on Patreon... <laughs> After we did a Muppets Christmas Carol on main feed, which, by the way, Carrie Ann is wearing her Muppets Christmas Carol t-shirt right now. It says, thank you for making me a part of this. And it's got Rizzo on it, so, <laughs> in his Dickensian outfit. But, you know, we then did a special episode on the Patreon where we took a famous adaptation and did it with Muppets. Yeah. And explained to you how that works out. <laughs> So guys, sign up for it. Yeah. Five dollars. You get access to all that crap. I think I chose to adapt Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I chose the Phantom of the Opera. It was pretty great. And we casted them with Muppets and, you know, how we wanted that to go. <laughs> Can we please get Muppet horror adaptations, please? Oh my god. And I know Muppets Christmas Carol kind of is, but like, I'm sorry. It's Muppets. How horrific can it get, you know? But that's the thing about Charles Dickens' 1843 story, a Christmas Carol. It is essentially a ghost story. We talked about this when we did a Muppets Christmas Carol here on Main Feed, and I know we're doing it again, but bear with us, because this time we actually get to focus less on the Muppets and more on the actual tale and narrative that is Charles Dickens' classic masterpiece. Yeah, I'm not saying we're not going to be laughing as much in this coverage, but we're definitely going to be trembling more. It's spooky reading. I don't know if you've ever actually read A Christmas Carol. It's been a decade, I gotta tell you. Like, it's, you know, it. I, I read a little bit 
uh-huh. in preparation. I really did. You didn't finish it, I'm sure. Of but... course not. I don't have time. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many pages it is, but... It is a novella, so it's not quite a novel, but it's longer than a short story. Yeah, no, it was, um, you know, like I said, 1843. It, it came out in the time. It's a very Dickensian setting. I don't know how else to put it. It's London in the 1830s and 40s. Well, that's the thing about Charles Dickens's life, you know, and not to get too deep biographically, but, you know, Dickens was born to a middle-class family in, like, 1812, and then by 1824, his father had spent all their money, gone to debtor's prison, which forced Dickens to work in, like, a shoe-blacking factory under grotesque conditions, which would be the seeds for many motifs in his works that we now refer to as Dickensian. Yeah, no, he, he he was conditioned and raised in economic enslavement, so... Like, people suffering and living in poverty, children being forced to take on adult problems because the material world cannot meet their needs. And when he wrote A Christmas Carol, it was a time when British society, like, in general, was reevaluating how they thought and felt about the Christmas tradition because of how horrible existence was at the time. You you would be lucky if you showered once every two weeks. Like, oh, gross. you know, you don't have clean water. Like, it was, like she just said, heavily influenced by his own youth, those feelings and themes and aesthetics that come up in the Christmas Carol narrative. Like, right before this was published, he had to go visit a, like, a tin factory or something like that and saw all of the children working in these rat-infested filthy conditions and like that just got to him and it's it's what makes me want to believe that dickens was a good guy yeah no i think he was life was just so wretched for so many people and think about it he lives in the capital of the air quote greatest empire on earth yeah like and then there are parliamentary reports exposing like how disgusting the industrial like revolution had impacted the working class Mm -hmm. like it's and he was horrified and you know what he did he wrote a horror story and you know of course a christmas carol tells the story of ebenezer scrooge and how what a you can bleep it if you want what he was (laughs) and how poorly he treated people because what is ebenezer scrooge's religion carrie not christianity but money exactly and how his influence economically, socially, is making everybody miserable at the Yuletide. He is visited by not one, not two, not three, but four spirits (laughs) who tell him, buddy, if you don't redeem yourself, and I mean like now, if you don't get right, (laughs) bad things are going to happen to you and everyone around you. You know me, I love a redemption story. Yeah. I absolutely do. I have a lot of notes about that at the end. So yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. So the film we're talking about today is from 2009. Bob Zemeckis. <laughs> hey, Robert. Bob, how you doing? You've been with us on Main Feed before. A couple of times. Yeah, a couple of years ago, he was with us at Christmas time. He, Zemeckis really loves Christmas. It, I'm getting that. I think it's his favorite holiday because, guys, he was the director of the Polar Express, which we covered on Main Feed. 
two years ago? Oh, two or three years ago. Two or three years ago. He's also the director of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, who, yes! w- which we did on main feed. He's the director of the Back to the Futures. Mm-hmm. So Zemeckis has done a lot of big things. He also directed Forrest Gump, which we did yes. on main feed as well. We've covered quite a few Zemeckis Because Yes, I remember you <laughs> using that term. The zemeckis Yes, absolutely. At least a $125 million profit for A Christmas Carol in 2009. Now, how much did it cost? Because I always wonder about this when we talk about movies that are mostly motion capture. At most, a $200 million budget. Woo! Which, can I just say, love this movie. It's beautifully animated. It's a little derpy (laughs) because it's 2009 and we've come a long way in computer animation since then. No, yeah, you made a comment earlier about how the eyes are somehow sometimes lazy. And I'm like, Ross, that's because you can't put motion tracking dots on their eyeballs. Yeah, but you're still animating. Like, <laughs> okay. I, just, I feel like they rushed to get this done. But, like, I remember this film going experience. Yeah, me too. Uh, because, you know, dad. Dad would always tell me, because we'd watch him up its Christmas Carol every year, and Dad would always be like, you know, from the chair, pointing a finger, you know it's a ghost story. <laughs> it's less of a Christmas story and more of a ghost story. And I'm like, yeah, okay, all yeah, right. Well, you what, know. Shush, the Muppets are talking. You're, you're, you're harshing my mellow. Mom took me to see this. I'm pretty sure it was Mom who took me to see this. I think you might have been with me. I'm pretty sure I was with you. And I'd always heard him say that. I don't know if I ever really believed it until I saw this movie. <laughs> right? Because I was like, I'm a scared. <laughs> yeah. Like, this movie is creepy. Mm-hmm. And when you, when you now that I've studied the tale so much and am experiencing this film once again with my 2020 vision, I, it, I was very appreciative mm-hmm. with this viewing that we just did. So I remember when this was being advertised like way back in like September of that year, I was just like, what? Christmas Carol starring Jim Carrey? This is going to be just one giant screwball children's movie. They're not going to in any way capture the actual dread and haunt of the actual story. You were wrong. I was, I've never been more pleased to be wrong. Because, <laughs> my God, between Jim Carrey having multiple personalities yeah. and the spooky of the animation, it was the best. If there's one thing you can count on from Jim Carrey, it's to have multiple personalities. <laughs> He's good. He's good. God damn it. All right. And folks, you might have guessed it, but we've got names. Oh, boy, do we ever. Oh. Some people are pulling triple, quadruple, quintuple duty this week. <laughs> yeah, I know. And almost everybody else is returning. So portraying our protagonist, Ebenezer Scrooge, also portraying the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas yet to come as well. Mm-hmm. We have the one, the only, the masterful, if not a teeny tiny problematic, <laughs> Jim Carrey. Yes, guys. Please welcome him back. He was he was the star of the very first final Christmas film we did, the first year we started doing this. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yes. Is that not? No, that's Ron Howard. I was about to call that a Zemeckis, but it's not. He will never, I don't, he will, I, in my opinion, that's his, that's his thing. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That is how he will be universally known, yeah. in my opinion. I know he's fucking Ace Ventura. Uh-huh. You know, I know that he 
he's the mask guy. Yeah. The mask know? guy. You know, I know he did Liar Liar, which I cannot believe we've never covered <laughs> Liar Liar. I know. We know he's Bruce Almighty, but he's been with us when we did that. He was with us when we did Lemony Snicket's Series of Unfortunate Events because he's Count Olaf. Not to mention his stint as Joe Biden on Saturday Night Live. Holy. Do you remember that? I don't, actually. He was doing the most. <laughs> Portraying both Bob Cratchit and Jacob Marley. Also providing motion capture for Tiny Tim. Mm-hmm. We have, please welcome him back to kicking and streaming, Sir Gary Oldman. <laughs> the way I had to look at you before we came down here and... Go, when, when did we do a Gary Oldman picture? Literally just last month in JFK when he was Lee Harvey Oswald. And I hated it so much I've already forgotten about it. <laughs> also, I knighted him. United him? I didn't mean to. He's not a knight. I thought he was. Oh, united him in the JFK episode? No, no. Did you not hear me just call him Sir Gary Oldman? Oh, okay. You yeah. just did it. I thought he was a knight. He's not. He needs to be. King Charles, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> If you're not knighting Gary Oldman. <laughs> Guys, he, oh God, I hate Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992, and I don't know why, because he's great in that movie. I just remember last week when I said Winona Ryder's not good in everything. Yeah. Yeah, Dracula's one of those things. Air Force One, The Contender, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Darkest Hour when he's Winston Churchill. Yeah. And guys, of course, it cannot not be mentioned. Uh, I know. He is serious Orion Black III in the Harry Potter saga. Not you having his full name. Oh. Son of Orion and Walburga Black? Please stop. Mm, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Member of Gryffindor House? Yeah. Yes. We the, know. The prisoner of Azkaban? Move on. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're so nice. <laughs> <laughs> She's already done with me. Portraying Fred, Scrooge's cheerful nephew. Please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming. We have Colin Firth. Yeah. He was with us when we covered the King's speech. He was King George VI. Bertie. Mm-hmm. He's in Love Actually. He's from Bridget Jones' Diary. Mamma Mia. Mm -hmm. And Mamma Mia, here we go again. We have got to cover one of the Kingsman movies. There is just nothing about that franchise that I don't think you wouldn't love. I, I you know. know. You've mentioned it to me several times. And I'm not going to lie. When I've seen the trailers for those films, they look fucking amazing. Right? Like, not to mention all of the English romances like Shakespeare in Love and Pride and Prejudice and The English Patient and the importance of being earnest and like <laughs> come on Colin Firth he just brings that um befuddled a uh, stammering british quality I'm in love with him You are? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Have you ever taken a gander at 80s Colin Firth? <laughs> Not recently. I he would be so mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I would be so his. <laughs> Portraying Fezziwig and Old Joe, we have, please welcome him back to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Bob Hoskins. He was with us when we covered Hook and when we covered Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, because he's in the Zemeckisai. <laughs> Carrie, he was also with us when we covered Mermaids. I forget about it every single time. You have to quit forgetting about it. Because in my mind, it's Danny DeVito, not Bob Hoskins. Which I don't know. what. You know what? That almost <laughs> would have been not better but the thought of Cher and Danny DeVito getting together does something to my head I'm sorry it's okay I'm sorry. guys Balto Made in Manhattan Super Mario Brothers cause he's fucking Mario <laughs> Nixon Enemy at the Gates R.I.P. Bob Hoskins yeah <laughs> not prostate you idiot probate, probate. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love him so much. Guys, portraying Belle, Scrooge's neglected fiance, and also fan, Scrooge's sister, weird. <laughs> we have, please welcome her back to Kicking and Streaming, the lovely Miss Robin Wright. She was with us when we covered Princess Bride. She was with us when we covered Forrest Gump in the Zemeckisai, I'm telling you. Like, Moneyball, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Remember Wonder Woman? Blade Runner 2049. I haven't mentioned the pivotal role. Oh, you haven't? Oh, no, I haven't. You haven't. Because you know Robin Wright belongs in one of my comfort canons. She is First Lady and Vice President of the United States, Claire Hale Underwood, in Netflix's House of Cards. For what I'm sure is the millionth time, the way you refer to that show as your comfort canon is obnoxious. It is obnoxious. (laughs) And I'm sorry about that. But like that, like The Handmaid's Tale, it validates so much of what I despair about. Y'all follow Ross on Twitter? And you know... (laughs) You should. I know it's fiction. (laughs) But like, you know, I know she's a villain in that show. Uh Uh-huh. But... But... Okay. I'm waiting for the butt. I still root for her more than I root for... Oh, my God. I still root for her more than I root for Frank, but at the same time, there's no one to root for, really, in that show. You're not wrong. We'll talk about it someday, Carrie. (laughs) Portraying stand-in for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As well as a couple of background characters. Specifically, a portly gentleman, Dick Wilkins, Mad Fiddler, guest number two, and businessman number one. We have Carrie... Elwes. Carrie Elwes. He, uh, please welcome him back. He was with us when we covered The Princess Bride, and he was with us when we covered Saw, because he's Dr. Lawrence Gordon. Um, he was also with us when we covered Twister. Twister, that's right. Portraying Mrs. Dilber, that's Scrooge's charwoman. She's her house. She's his housekeeper. She's a part-time maid. We've got Fanula Flanagan. I don't know why I said it like that. We've got <laughs> Fanula Flanagan. I've never heard of any of these. Um, James Joyce's Women, Some Mother's Son, Waking Ned, The Others, Four Brothers, Song of the Sea. Um, she's Eloise Hawking in Lost. Yep. And she's also a Tony Award nominee. So hello, Fanula. Couple of other mentions here. Uh, we have Leslie Manville as Mrs. Cratchit, as Bob's wife, Emily. Um, Leslie Manville is, of course, from one of Carrie's favorite sideshows. Shows. Harlots. <laughs> yes! She's Mrs. Quigley. <laughs> She's also um, blowing shit up right now as Princess Margaret on The Crown. Ooh, guys, are y'all caught up on The Crown yet? Uh, Carrie isn't. Um, <laughs> I feel like by the time you hear this, I will be. Uh, I love Leslie Manville. I think she's delicious in everything. <laughs> delicious! Yeah, she's in the Maleficent movies with Angelina Jolie. <laughs> she's. I think she's one of the fae. Uh-huh. Her and Imelda Staunton and somebody else are... Flora Fauna and Meriwether. Um, it looks awful. That's because, because it's, it's on, on you, dear. dear. I will also mention Daryl Sabara. Oh my God! He is the Undertaker's apprentice. He's also a caroler and a couple of other motion capture roles, kind of like Carrie Elwes is in this movie. Not Junie from Spy Kids! It's Junie Cortez from Spy Kids, which we <laughs> covered on main feed. Welcome back, Daryl. <laughs> He's currently starring as Megan Trainer's husband on this season of The World. With the his and hers toilets. I love that for him. <laughs> All right, guys. We've been sitting here a half an hour, and we absolutely must get to the content. I will just mention Alan Silvestri. You did the score. You did a good job. Mm-hmm. I love me some Silvestri.
stylistically in the beginning here, little jaunty for my tastes. It's a ghost story, right? But oh, I think it goes from jaunty to serious real quick. I wrote Robert Zemeckis you and I didn't finish it. I don't know what <laughs> I was going to say about Bob, but No, I think that opening is very important cuz yeah. Cuz uh-oh, we're opening the book again. Yeah, it starts off very Christmassy, very holiday oriented, and yes, we see a Christmas carol, the book. Mm-hmm. And yes, we are opening the book again to its famous first line, right? Which, what a great first line. We see it written out. Mhm. Marley was dead. To begin with. Oh, it's one of those lines I wish I could have written. I love that opening shot where we see the drawing in the book of Marley's face in the coffin. His corpse! With the penny farthings over the eyes to keep the eyes closed because they didn't have that mechanism back in the day. <gasps> yes. Quite dead. There's a doornail. And we are at the bottom of the uncanny valley here with Mr. Ebenezer Carey. Yeah, I know, right? That's the thing, Ross, about these motion capture films. Yeah, the character may look different from the actor portraying them, but you there's always one aspect of it where that actor bleeds through. And in the case of Jim Carrey, it's always the eyes. Mm-hmm. His eyes are so expressive, no animator could ever bury those eyes. So Jacob Marley was Ebenezer Scrooge's business partner. They have a firm together, Scrooge and Marley. They're moneylenders. They lend, they're creditors. They lend money for various things, whether it's housing or food, you know, yeah, like... like loans. I, I am on the end of some Scrooges at the current moment, so yep. a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. In this day and age. Oh, not so. 2023, 1843. <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> and so Jacob Marley has passed away in this year we start, 1835, or sorry, 1836. The way the Undertaker is holding out his hand for a tip. Oh, yeah, because Scrooge signs his witness because Marley had nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Scrooge hates parting with those coins. Oh, no, he's... It's re- pathological. He's like, reluctantly giving the Undertaker a tip, and Gavin pointed this out because he happened to be sitting there, but the way the camera moves, Scrooge physically gets smaller as he hands over the coins. Ooh, because he's built on gain, mm-hmm. right? Yup. And like, money is the root of all evil. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry, I just... This is not new if you're a fervent listener of this podcast. Not Scrooge taking the penny farthings off the eyes for himself. Yeah, to make up for the money he had to hand over to the Undertaker. What was the point of giving him money at all then, Ebenezer? Like, uh... Dubbance is dubbance. I love the way that Scrooge is described in the story and in multiple iterations. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. <laughs> that's uh, Charles, that's delicious. Oh that's delicious God. description. And like just everything in his life is built on money and hoarding it. And everybody's life is worse for it. Yeah. After he leaves The Undertaker? And he's passing the Christmas carolers. <laughs> oh my god, those Christmas carolers are so full of cheer. And he's walking by them and they all just slowly dwindle to silence. He stares them down till they stop. I know! <laughs> and then he walks past them and that blind man's dog literally leaps out of his way? Yeah, no, he's... Even, even the dog knows 
to give him a wide berth. Even mange won't go near greed. Uh, like, I... And Carrie, this great animation generation of London in the 1830s and 40s is so exquisite. It is. I, you know, we get a lot of um, flying around. Zemeckis loves to fly around so he can show you his big animation dick, you know? Like, <laughs> when we pass by no. that big hall where there's a huge Christmas dinner table set mm-hmm. for festivities, and we get a little bit of a time jump, right? As we follow Scrooge to his offices of Scrooge and Marley. I always forget about this aspect of the story, that seven years pass. Yeah, we go to seven Christmas Eves later, which I don't know what the significance of that is narratively. I don't know about narratively, and, you know, it's difficult to pigeonhole Charles Dickens's faith here, but um, even though he was a professed Christian, but seven is a number that occurs in the Bible quite a bit. So, and here's another thing, guys. This adaptation, we can't say for sure, not having read the entirety of the tale, that this is 100% truthful to the book, but or it's t- pretty darn truthful or to the novel, but whatever liberties Zemeckis takes are sh- definitely a credit. And like, you know, we're at Scrooge and Marley and Scrooge has a, a one employee, doesn't he? <laughs> the long suffering Bob Cratchit. Yes. Yes. Bob Cratchit, God love him, has to keep his fingers from freezing by the light of a single lit candle because Scrooge will not pay for the coal to keep the whole count house heated. And he's like, God, I'm fucking cold. <laughs> I'd love to be able to put some coal on this fire, but Scrooge has it locked up and the keys are on his desk. The way he has it locked, I'm like, Scrooge. We can't waste valuable coal keeping people comfortable, Carrie. Like <laughs> The next character that comes into the narrative is Scrooge's nephew, Fred. Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. Ah, humbug. Christmas humbug? Uncle, you don't mean that. Merry Christmas. What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough. What right have you to be so dismal? You're rich enough. I love the existence of humbug because it wasn't until like a couple of years ago that I learned that humbug basically means bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. Ha! Bullshit! (laughs) And, And just in case you were wondering... Humbug backwards is Gubma. I wasn't wondering, but thank you for that. You're so welcome. <laughs> Fred is here to be merry. Yeah, every time Fred makes an appearance in this story, I finally remember to breathe. Yeah, I know, right? He's such a welcome presence in this landscape of bleak awfulness. Mm-hmm. Fred is the child of Scrooge's little sister, Fan, with whom he was very close when he was young and loved very much. She has since passed away. Yes, she has, and we'll get a little more on that later. It's always this scene that you think about, right? It's this dialogue you think about when you think of A Christmas Carol. Uh, you know, I watched a Doctor Who Christmas episode I'd never seen before recently, mm-hmm. and they make direct reference to the these lines because because you're gonna keep Christmas in your way and I'm gonna keep it in mine right exactly and even though Scrooge is the opposite of an ideal dinner guest Fred invites him to Christmas dinner which of course he declines no this is how this goes down keep it you don't keep it come have dinner with us go fuck yourself (laughs) but why much good it has ever done you there are many things from which I have derived good and have not profited Christmas being among them But I've always thought of Christmas as a kind, charitable time. The only time when men open their shut-up hearts and think of all people as fellow travellers to the grave and not some other race of creatures bound on other journeys. And therefore, Uncle, 
although it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe it has done me good, and I say God bless it! And in this version, you actually see Fred desperately wanting a relationship with Scrooge because he's his only living blood. Yeah. And Scrooge will just not engage. And it's so much more palpable in this version than in others that he doesn't want to associate with Fred because he's clearly a reminder of all the love he's lost in his life. Fred is the only family he has. Exactly. I mean, he does have other family through Fred, or at least fellowship friends of Fred and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. like that could all be his too if he would just be a human being (laughs) you're gonna get so much fussier before this ends and I'm ready for it yeah yeah so Fred's like come to dinner or don't come to dinner whatever you know goodbye goodbye and then (laughs) good afternoon and then you know this is where um Bunsen and Beaker would stop by right (laughs) yeah I don't think these two gentlemen have names but they are here one of them is definitely Carrie Elwes yeah Yeah. for sure they're trying to raise money for the poor and again this is what we meant when we talk about this scene this conversation this is one of the most famous bits from the story because you know Scrooge is trying to melt them with eye contact for even asking for money for the destitute he's like do we not have economic enslavement in the prison industrial complex in this country gentlemen you're here asking me for money are there no prisons no poor houses oh but sir many cannot go there and uh, well frankly many would rather die then they had better do it and decrease the surplus population good afternoon gentlemen What a thing to say to another human being. That line always hits me. So many people in this world with the means of helping the poor are completely comfortable with letting them suffer and die in the cold. There are so many people who are actually like this today. But like, I would love to have a private. I, like, I wrote. There's literally so many people who are actually alike, who are actually like this alive today. It might not be as harsh or literally Dickensian as this, but like, we never take notes together, and the amount of times we write basically the same note is disgusting. We are like-minded. We are. This he is disconcerting to these men. Yeah, they're like. Oh wow! <laughs> I can just the the horrified looks not on their faces but on their faces behind their faces. Yeah, like oh fuck! Wow, <laughs> you're really heartless. Okay, so they leave and then it, it's time to clock out, I guess. And Scrooge begrudgingly gives Cratchit Christmas Day off, a pity day off. Yeah, before they leave the count house for the night. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every December the twenty fifth. But it doesn't make sense to be open, Scrooge. No one else is. And so, you know, he locks the count house and he leaves. And the moment Scrooge is out of sight, Cratchit is giddy. Yeah. he, Because, like, you know, back then in that environment, you know, one of the most fun things you could do in London at Yuletide is play with the ice and snow. And so <laughs> all those boys are sliding around a frozen over rainy street and, you know... <laughs> Hanging off the backs of coaches as they slide around, you know. Reminds me of Gonzo and Rizzo playing with the penguins in the Muppets Christmas Carol. And he wants to be a part of this, so. (laughs) In honor of Christmas Eve! (laughs) 
we see Scrooge go home for our very first spooky bit. Oh, boy. See, this was the moment. This was the moment in the theater that I knew. Yeah. They are going to take this seriously. Yes, I felt the same exact way. Not, like, the same, you know. Not at the time. I didn't have the same thought that you did, but, like, I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) And, and, you know, you you can't scare a 13-year-old with a lot, but, like, (laughs) his mansion... It's literally gated in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about all those houses that we see throughout London where anyone can break in at any time for any reason. Yeah. No such thing as the sophisticated lock or a security system in those times. And he has those huge wrought iron gates. And, you know, he goes through his gate and goes up his front steps and he drops the key to his house on the doorstep. <laughs> and when he raises his head back up, the door knocker has become a disturbingly ghostly image of this man's face. Jacob Marley. Get away! Get away! When the jaw pops open and releases the knocker and it scares Scrooge back down the steps. I'm surprised he didn't just die when he fell backwards. (laughs) Like that, when they, yeah, you're right, Carrie. This was the moment in the theater when I saw it for the first time. I was like, oh shit, this is, this is going to be, yeah, this is going to be scurry. Like, (laughs) and he's just like, also, I just, Jim Carrey, the Jim Carrey-isms that he injects into Scrooge are very appreciated. They just are. <laughs> they have to do that, Ross, because otherwise children will be forever traumatized by this film. When he realizes that the door knocker is a door knocker again, <laughs> he's like, well, I'm just going to ignore that. And th- Carrie, this is my this is my favorite part of the book, is Scrooge alone yeah, in the house. Because... They portray this part of the novel in this movie very well, going into his big empty house, you know, no housekeeper here, this late or anything. No, there are no servants. There are no family members. He, his house is so big. And dark. And there's no one there with him. Darkness was cheap and Scrooge liked it. Yeah. And all of his furniture being covered because he never uses it. He never has guests. And... Him having him having his ritual of locking himself in his room every night. Uh. Like he's afraid that there's someone in his home with him who will steal his valuable belongings. Him heating up a pot of gravy or whatever. I, by, wrote, I wrote hot, wet grains. Yeah, to <laughs> eat by the fire. And him checking his outer rooms before he locks himself in. I think he's rattled by what happened downstairs. He's peeking around every corner, checking under the bed. I get it. It's the creaks and cracks coming from dark corners that get me too. And I don't think we talked about the call bells when we talked about the Muppets Christmas Carol. In old stately English manners, you would have service bells set up throughout the home. So if you're in one room of your palace... You can ring for a servant who's definitely in the bowels of the home, which I would oh, I would love to see a how it's made on that. Oh, on the service call bell. How that police system works within the skeleton <laughs> of a house like that. But it's you know what it is for me because what? he's sitting in that armchair directly in front of the fire trying to eat his shitty little dinner, right? And it's the noticing them moving before hearing them. It just catches his eye, and he can see one of those four bells slowly starting to move, and that chills my blood. 
Mm-hmm. Because he knows there's no one there with him. He has no servants. He's too cheap to pay anybody. And then, Carrie, it's the build. The crescendo of not just all of those bells starting to ring violently, but it's as though he's in fucking Victoria Tower with yeah. Big Ben's bells going off in his bedroom. Then the sound of the footsteps outside his bedroom and the chains dragging along the floor of the hall. Just behind that closed door, it's terrifying. Uh, And then the doorknob starts moving. Uh, And you know what? He's like, nope, nope, I'm just giving myself the willies. It's fine. It's all still a house. Boxes on chains fly through the door, and in drifts the ghost of his business partner, Jacob Marley. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. This is Gary Oldman. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, I, my skin was crawling in the theater seeing this the first time. He, Gary Oldman's so undervalued. The ghost, the spirit, the specter of Marley, chained to all of those money count boxes and weighed down by them. And he has the band his corpse had that kept his jaw shut. Because again, that you couldn't keep the jaw shut. And the wispy hair, and, like drifting, uh, and his teeth, are, and mm. his unfocused eyes, because he doesn't have his spectacles in death. You're right. It makes my blood run cold as well. They have the I don't believe in you conversation. <laughs> Why do you doubt your senses? Because the littlest thing can affect them. A slight disorder of the stomach can make them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a lot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a, a fragment of underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Oh! Dreadful apparition! Marley's torment as a spirit is so uncomfy. All of the yelling mm-hmm. and the moaning he's doing. Oh, the woe is me. Why is this happening to me? Even though he knows exactly because that's how it is in the book. The Marley ghost constantly is going back and forth between being this omniscient being and being Jacob Marley. Yeah. He's forced to walk the earth eternally, dragging those count boxes behind him. No rest, no peace as punishment for the way he behaved in life. The mouth breaking. Oh no, when Scrooge tries to insist that he was a good man of business and this outrages the ghost to the point where his jaw falls apart and then he has to use his hand to work it. Bad kite! What's my business? 
common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. Of course Marley's here for a reason. He is here to tell Scrooge that he will be haunted by three spirits. It's the getting close to his face. Yeah. Because he doesn't focus his eyes on Scrooge until he says this line. Expect the first. Tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over with, Jacob? Expect the second the next night at the same hour. And the third upon the next night when the last stroke of 12 has ceased to vibrate. Which is something that gets glazed over. No, I think that Dickens set this out a specific way and then forgot about it when he got to the end uh-huh. and so just decided to say they did it all in one night, but... Scrooge throughout this entire thing, it you know, Scrooge goes through several stages of horror, which I think that's something that you and I need to write. The stages of horror, like yeah. kind of like the stages of grief where you don't think you're being haunted, but you are, and then you kind of come to accept it and all I'd, that stuff. I'd be good at that. I know you would. I know you would. And so, like, he's, he's not really taking him seriously. It's not really until Marley tries to leave by the window. Look to see me no more. Yeah, that he really starts to take him seriously because Marley takes the chains and pulls Scrooge's armchair to the window and then Scrooge looks out the window and sees this expanse of ghosts just like Marley. Tormented spirits weighed down by their own woes from their own lives. Yeah. Oh my god. That one guy trying to get his obvious wife's attention, but he's dead. And he's like, I wish I could help you. Yeah, and then Scrooge screams, and that spirit looks right at him <laughs> and floats directly at him. No! No! <laughs> I know, and that puts Scrooge right in his famous four-poster bed, and he draws the curtains. Yeah, he's cowering behind his bed curtain. Because what are we doing, Carrie? We're expecting the first ghost when the bell tolls one. Yeah, and it does toll. I'm excited to talk in depth with you about each one of the ghosts. Oh, yeah. I I have really good notes, and I know you do too. So the thing about the ghost of Christmas past, they will introduce themselves, but... (laughs) I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past... Your past. Rise and walk with me. I'm not exactly sure about the manifestation of the spirit in the book. Obviously, in Muppets Christmas Carol, you know, they portray it as this sort of young, childlike female spirit, you know. Evocative of Scrooge's young spirit. But in this adaptation, and I don't know if it's the same in the book or not, is it? It is. 
it's this candle-like spirit almost. And it's I just love that it's so obviously Jim Carrey's face mm-hmm. because it's like the face of the spirit is in the flame and like the body looks like the candlestick, you know? like The form is constantly changing slightly because that's really the way that memory works. Yeah, the past, yeah. As one memory comes into focus, another fades. And how we look at the past also continues to change shape depending on our perspective. The way that this spirit speaks is so disconcerting to me. Because not only is it spooky, but it's like an echo. Mm-hmm. Like of something past. Yeah. I love that he's Irish. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like, again, like you said, it's Jim Carrey. And he's talking in an Irish accent. I see it in his eyes and his creepy little smile. Like, I love versions of The Christmas Carol where the ghost of Christmas past is kind of like a mischievous little sprite. Yeah, yeah. I almost prefer it that way. Kind of like uh, Puck in A Midsummer Night's Dream, you yeah. know? like Who is omniscient and all-knowing. Uh-huh. And, uh... and so, you know... With with the opening of the window and the come, we have much to see. And Scrooge is like, listen, I'm mortal and liable to fall if you take me out that window. It's and, like, oh, a touch of my hand. And you shall fly. <laughs> yep. And guys, the flying is good. The animation is incroyable. Like, <laughs> I just thought the way that this happened three separate times was a little much, but yeah. that's my own personal opinion. We, of course, are whisked away by the ghost of Christmas past to the village of Scrooge's boyhood. Yeah, his hometown. Scrooge, at first, is very confused, but like then almost can't believe his eyes. Yeah, He knows exactly where he is. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about this portrayal is so palpable to me. He sheds a tear. Scrooge yeah. don't be doing that. Mm-hmm. Scrooge doesn't have emotions for anyone else, let alone himself. Yeah. That's the thing about the past. It's very powerful. It can do a lot to even the most jaded of individuals. I definitely talked about this during the Muppets coverage, but what I would give... I know. ...to walk around in my own past and to get some friggin' perspective... Yeah. ...it would be so valuable to me. And, like, when he does shed that tear, it's the way the ghost is like... Is that a fucking tear I see? Oh, no! Are you crying, bitch? He's tickled! Yeah. It's it's very satisfying to the spirit. And what's that? (gasps) On your cheek. Nothing. Something in my eye. Do you remember the way? (laughs) Remember it. I could walk it blindfolded. And so we go to Scrooge's school, his obvious, like, boarding school, private school. Scrooge spent a lot of time in school as a little boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he wasn't the most um, jovial. I think he felt that, you know, we don't ever know a lot about Scrooge's actual home life, but we know that it mirrors a little bit of Dickens, so we know that it can't be great. Yeah, it feels like his family never wants him home for Christmas. He's a little neglected. And so he feels that he must drown himself in scholarly practice so that he can rise above that existence in adulthood. And he looks so sad and lonely. It breaks me every time. Singing Christmas carols to himself all alone in that classroom, that dark, cold classroom. In Latin. 
Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. And so, you know, we quickly see another uncarry. What? We quickly see another little memory in that classroom where he's a little bit older. He's like a young man, like young adulthood. We see his little sister, Fanny, come to fetch him from school. Father is so much kinder than he used to be. He spoke so gently to me one night. I was not afraid to ask him if you might come home. And she said yes. And he sent me in a coach to fetch you. And we're to be together all the Christmas long. And have the merriest time in all the world. I know that's taken directly from Dickens' own life. Yeah. His father was in prison for so many years for being a debtor. Maybe he had three ghosts visit him in prison. I don't know. Like, it's like, he's like, she's like, we will be together the whole Christmas time. And she's so happy. And he's so happy to see her. And it just, he had love. He had care. He did. And he's come so far away from that. And we then quickly learn, Fan is Fred's mother. Yeah. The longing in Scrooge's voice when he talks about Fan, one of the most positive presences he ever had in his life. And then we see, as Scrooge grows older, he becomes apprentice to warehouse owner Mr. Nigel Fezziwig. <laughs> Portrayed by Bob Hoskins. Fezziwig! F- Fozziwig. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's Christmas! <laughs> Remember when I was like, that joke writes itself. Uh, we are we are seeing the Christmas time festivities that Mr. Fezziwig is putting together for himself, his family, and his employees. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Tonight, it's Christmas Eve! Hooray! Ebenezer, let's get cleared away. We want lots of space. Lots and lots of space! Fezziwig is such a crucial character in Scrooge's past because he's the antithesis of everything that Scrooge has become. A good man, good to his wife and family, good to his employees, treats them all like family underneath his roof. Generous of spirit, would rather everyone have a good work-life balance instead of exceeding the quota. This is the spirit saying... Scrooge, you can never say you didn't have this influence. Exactly. Like, you know. You can't say you did not have this example because you so did. And like, you know, most employers at the holidays would just give a pizza party, right? Yeah. But no, Fezziwig goes all out. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig burning the floor down (laughs) with the dancing. And then Scrooge, young Scrooge himself meeting Belle for the first time. He meets the love of his life at Christmas. Yeah. No wonder he's got so many emotions about this friggin' holiday. And they dance and it's lovely, but we quickly transition to down the line a little bit with him and Belle. They obviously foster a relationship. They agree to get married, but, you know, Belle is sitting in his current office Mm -hmm. with him, and he is... A bit more miserly than he was. Like, he's only worried about getting money. And, like, you know, weddings cost something. And she doesn't have any money because her parents died. And because of how fucked up, you know, inheritance laws were in those times, she didn't actually inherit whatever little they may have had. Because she's an unmarried woman. And this is the spirit demonstrating to him, you know, you had everything once. Yeah. Well, not everything. But you had more than most once. You could have gone forward with modesty. 
Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so. When it was made... You were another man. I was a fool! The older you get, the more concerned you become about money. And yeah, I guess that is what he's saying. Yeah. That is something that, you know, I guess as you referred to it, economic slavery. Because, like, this is the thing, though, right? It's the money that's the root of the awful. Yeah. And it, to me, it's like, okay, well, is the wrongdoing here Scrooge getting obsessed with money? Or is Scrooge getting obsessed with money merely a side effect of the world he lives in? It really depends on how you look at it. I don't know. I think that he could have, you know, said the hell with it and let's just be comfortable instead of let's be wealthy. She says, I release you, Ebenezer. You who weighs everything by gain. May you be happy with what you choose. She says, I'm done with not feeling like I'm good enough for you, you know? And Ebenezer, looking on all the while, you know, old Ebenezer, is like, Jesus Christ, can you shut this down? <laughs> Show me no more. This is painful for me. Like to the spirit. And the spirit's like, like good. <laughs> yeah. And the, the spirit's like, listen, these are the things of your past. It is what it is. They are what they are. Do not blame me. And then the spirit's face starts morphing into the face of everyone he's ever cared about. Yeah, no. And he literally is trying to kill it. I don't know anything about what this thing is called, but it's 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 it's, it's a put outer. It's uh, like a cone yeah. that you put over a candle to snuff it. And snuffer. That's what it's called. It's called a, a snuffer. Okay, and like Scrooge picks up the snuffer. Haunt is, me no more. He's trying to put him out. Haunt me no longer. And Carrie, it's the way he almost gets it put out trying to extinguish the spirit, and then it propels him into space. travel all of a sudden and this is the thing i don't this is where i took the note i don't understand the timing in this story <laughs> are we supposed to believe it's the next night over when he hits the ground and it's just him falling out of bed yeah and so he's like you know he's always a little relieved every time it's over right you every, know? every time another spirit leaves him he's like oh holy shit i'm glad i don't have to do with that again before him lying on the floor is the glowing doorway the one that he locked up mm -hmm. into that empty dark room from earlier? Yeah. And <laughs> the door opens up and we are going to get introduced to the ghost of Christmas present. Come in and, and know, know me, me better, better, man. <laughs> I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look up on me! <laughs> the ghost of Christmas present, I believe this, I, I, I know this is true to the novel as well. He's this Father Christmas-like character. Giant he, Father Christmas. Yeah, he's colossal. He's sitting atop 
a pile of presents or is it a gigantic Christmas tree? No, it's like a Christmas tree shaped pile of food, drink, presents. And, you know, it's just supposed to be evocative of being generous of spirit and uh, opulence and giving. A Scotsman. Huge. <laughs> Low-key wood smash. Um, <laughs> the, the ghost of Christmas presents? Yeah, are you kidding me? Did you just tell me you'd upset with the ghost of Christmas presents? He's kind of attractive. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, You know what? In a, I... He's like hot in an outlander kind of way. You know, like... <laughs> And, like, he's very merry and jolly. He he reminds you of Santa, you know, like a Father Christmas character. This room, this whole room is infused with the present and true spirit of Christmas. Mm -hmm. These glittering walls that are, like, imbued with gold and all the red and the green trimming and... Just the ornateness of everything. You, you, they are putting you in a feeling. It's good cheer embodied in a room, mm-hmm. you know? And this room, when he says, touch my robe, you know, and he puts down his little robe cord so that they can then begin to use this room as this navigation, looking through the lens of its floor at other people's current realities, their own Christmas presents, you know? I think this was very interesting the way they did this because obviously in the Christmas past, we zoomed into the past, right? Yeah, yeah. And here we're being stationary and the floor of the room becomes transparent so we could have like a God's eye view Mm -hmm. of the Christmas present. And although the ghost of Christmas present is a lot less disconcerting than the others, he's still a ghost and his Power is what's scary. I think it's also important, though, that he is less disconcerting because, you know, he's already been scared to death by the ghost of Christmas past. And now with that perspective, he needs to be in a place where he's open to learning and to adapting new beliefs. You know, well, that's the yeah, that's the thing about the ghost showing him everybody else's present. Christmas is about other people and of taking into account everyone else's experience and not just your own exactly like you know it and with his torch he's got the torch right Mm -hmm. and he's lighting the way for scrooge to other people's perspectives like the flame of christmas past lit his way to the past you know like exactly i believe that scrooge has never left his house on christmas yeah and the way that he is now seeing through the transparent floor of this non-moving room all of the merriment and joy that is happening i love when scrooge can't empathize the ghost hits him on the head with the torch (laughs) (laughs) quite beautiful We see the Cratchits getting together, don't we? We do. The Cratchit family can barely deal with its situation. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh, there's a mess of babies. Yeah. There's like one, two, three, four. There's the old. Bo- there's the older boy, the older girl. There's, of course, Tiny Tim. 
and then like three girls in between. There's also Martha. Martha is definitely That's theirs. what I meant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The older girl. There's like seven kids or something. There's five to seven children. I couldn't keep track. And they live in like, I don't want to call it a hovel because I'm sure it's full of love and, you know, warmth, but... Like, they live in a tiny house. They don't have a lot of food. That's the thing about domiciles in this time. They're mostly made of wood. It's hard to sanitize. It's not insulated. Mm -mm. They have to keep warm by however many fires they can keep going at once, you know, like... And that's if you can afford the coal and or wood. Exactly. Bob's been to church with their youngest, Tiny Tim who requires the use of a crutch to move around. What is his ailment? We had this conversation last time we talked about this narrative. Yeah, most likely based on retrospect, it's either polio or it could also be renal tubular acidosis, which is a form of kidney failure. You know, sounds he, like a Wonka treat. I, I, <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry. In either case, this like, is horrible. I'm sorry. Well, no, actually, in the case of, you know, renal failure, like that was completely treatable in Dickens's time. But Cratchit's family cannot afford to treat their son's disease. Oh. Pudding looks delicious. The whole wash house smells like a pastry cook shop. Spirit, tell me. Tiny Tim. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner and a crotch without an owner. When the oldest brings home the goose. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, it's the sight of a well-cooked meal should not be miraculous to any civilization of people. Especially in that child's eyes. Like... And I'm crying again, Carrie. Like I know. When they, I cried when they all looked at that goose. I know. Like, not Bob raising a glass to Mr. Scrooge. Yeah, as the founder of the feast. Because as his employer, he does pay him money, which... Uh... And Scrooge is like, aw, what? And, <laughs> and then as soon as Miss... I, it's the, I wrote, not... Scrooge trying to leave when Mrs. Cratchit starts tearing into him. Oh like, no, like he's trying to leave the situation <laughs> and the spirit picks him up while he's squirming. Like, Where are you gonna go? Bitch, this is a haunting. <laughs> like, you can't go anywhere. I'll drink his health for your sake and the day's not for his. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. A Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us. Everyone. <laughs> and then things get uncomfy with the ghost. Uh-huh. And because, like, when Scrooge looks up and the spirit is visibly older. Kind spirit. Say Tiny Tim will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future... The child will die. Die? No, spirit. No. What then? If he is to die, he had better do it. And decrease the surplus population. And then we are in front of Fred, his nephew Fred and his chosen family doing uh, 20 questions or whatever, you know? Let's play yes and no. Yes and no, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And like, it's, they're trying to guess an animal, right? Mm -hmm. A horse? No. A cow? No. A dog? No. 
pig. No. An ass. Yes and no. Ooh. Oh, I know who it is, Fred. I know. It's your Uncle Scrooge. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost, like, half grinning down at him, like... <laughs> You are not well thought of, Scrooge. Uh-huh. Like, it's like, guys, I get it. You can't go through your life worrying about what everyone thinks about who you are and what you're doing with your life. However, <laughs> you should at least care a smidge what others think of you and how you hold yourself. I also think that the more money you have, maybe you should care more, but... And he's just like, the way he's grinning down at him, like, you are not well thought of, buddy, in case you'd forgotten any of that. No, in, him, ca in case you care. Him hearing how people talk about him when he's not there is great medicine for Scrooge right now. Because even though they're making fun of him Fred is still kind of taken up for him a little bit like you know what I wish him well and then we get super uncomfy with the spirit okay this because this next th part of the story Ross there is no more glittering room mm -hmm. only a dark expanse in moonlight before this colossal clockwork oh no we're inside Big Ben because time is running out. We didn't talk about this part of the story in The Muppets because, they frankly... They don't portray it in The Muppets Christmas Carol. This is one of the most horrific parts of the story, albeit a very poignant part. Scrooge sees a hand creeping out from under the spirit's robe. And he swings open his robe to reveal two hissing small children. They're dirty and uncared for. Mm -hmm. A little boy and a little girl. Are they yours? They are man's. This boy is ignorance. This girl is want. Beware them both. And the way that quote usually ends is, but most of all, beware this boy. Ignorance. Beware of ignorance. But that is interrupted by the chiming of Big Ben. The bell clock, the bell of the clock is destroying the spirit with each pang. Because obviously midnight on Christmas Day, that's when Christmas is over. And Scrooge, have they no refuge? Have they no resources? Oh. And then that boy immediately becoming a man. And then shouting in his face, Are there no prisons? And then this cage falls around him. Uh, are there no prisons? Uh, are there no workhouses? The little girl immediately becoming a woman mm. and hanging on him and saying, are there no workhouses? And then she, when she starts screaming as the straight jacket forms around her, because what did we do to women? We put them in bedlam. Yeah. We put them in a silent. We. <laughs> not you and not, me. Not you and me, but like <laughs> them. Victorian England. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to laugh because... That is literally one of the major consequences of poverty. 
young men get desperate and commit crime and young women get desperate, usually go into sex work or into begging and end up in a madhouse. Yeah, yeah. And it's not that different today. Ghost of Christmas Present decaying but continuing to laugh is so upsetting. He becomes bone. And you know what, Carrie? That's where I took the note. This is beautiful art. It is, actually. Like, this is such exquisite art, and it's so effective. And and you know what? We don't really get a break between Ghost of Christmas Present and the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. Yeah, because that scene just ends with the, the spirit's laughing skull disintegrating and blowing away. And then it's just Scrooge and his shadow. And then the shadow grows taller and turns into the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Not so sure if it's true to the novel, but in most adaptations we see anymore, it's always the ghost of Christmas yet to come is always either just a shadow or a specter wraith-like entity, a cloaked figure we never see the face of. And he never speaks. He won't speak to Scrooge. Much like the future will never speak to you or me. Yeah. Am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come? You're about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened but will happen. Is that so, Spirit? Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I have seen. But I know your purpose is to do me good. I'm prepared to bear you company. Lead on. It's it's not just about the fact that the the future cannot speak to us. It's also the fact that, you know, even in those perilous times with the past and the present, and with Marley, at least Scrooge had that comfort of getting a response from the spirits with regards to his questions. And it's also calls out to the fact that Scrooge is not someone who has to worry about the future. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time the future has come to scare him. Ooh. The night is waning fast. It's precious time to me. Lead on, spirit. <laughs> Leaping up off the floor at him was unkind um, <laughs> because he goes tottering backwards through the floor and down the stairs of some fancy municipal building. And this this is almost always portrayed in these adaptations. That group of chuckling, well-dressed men who are chortling about an unnamed man's death. And we all know who's dead. Yeah. And he does too, but like... But it's the intense denial, right? Because he's listening to these men, you know, chuckle about his own death, and he doesn't quite connect with it, but that is the point of the spirit, is the spirit is going to make him believe that if he does not change his ways, this is what is going to happen. What's he done with his money? He hasn't left it to me. That's all I know. <laughs> it is likely to be a cheap funeral. For the life of me, I can't think of anyone who'd want to attend it. <laughs> well, I don't mind going. If lunch is provided. There, yes. <laughs> and this is where I know you want to talk about the Undertaker chase. The literal nightmares 
that show up. They are nightmares. Horses of the night. <laughs> no. Ah! Hey, knock it off. It's it's the the black coach and the black driver. Mm-hmm. You know. And the horsies from hell. Yeah, the horse the the hell horsies. <laughs> and like it's it, we ensue on this chase through all of these empty streets because before the coach pulls up, the thing he notices there's no one around. Not a soul. It's only him. Mm-hmm. And then when those horses pull up and start to chasing him. <laughs> it's when he's running through that one street and he has to crawl past all of the wretched forms of uh, Dickensian folk popping up at him. Just reaching up and trying to pull him into the grave. Again, guys, it's a funeral coach. Yeah, it is, I, isn't it? I know it is because there's glass in the side of it. And that was something they did. They had a glass panel in a funeral coach so you could witness the coffin roll by. And when it like really builds up because Scrooge is physical form shrinks down to the size of a mouse. Why is he two inches tall? I it's to it's I think it's to loom death over him. Okay. Because that that the shot of him still running with death now in control of the I called him death. You did. You did, but wow. it's, it's not death. What is it, Ross? It's the spirit of Christmas yet to come now in control of the coach and the bringing down the hand on him. Ah! No! And then, of course, this Zemeckis animation we have to go on where he's now two inches tall. TLDR, he ends up falling into the rucksack of one Mrs. Dilber, who is... um. Scrooge's housekeeper. Yeah, she's part-time for sure. She probably comes in a couple hours a week. What you are able to infer from this scene is that she definitely came into work one day, probably Christmas Day, and found Scrooge dead in his bed. And before calling anyone, then began to steal everything that wasn't nailed down. Yeah, that was valuable. And now she is bringing a sack of all of it to this fence called Old Joe. Yeah. Who is an incredibly creepy character in every single iteration of this story because he's a scavenger. Yeah. He's literally, not to say that Scrooge's life was much to make of, but just the scene where Scrooge has to watch these two people pick through these valuables of his that he put so much emphasis on in life and none of it matters now because no one cares that he's dead you was bought to make your fortune and you certainly will do it well i shan't hold back my hand when i can get something by it don't you go get grease on them blankets now these blankets what else do you think I won't be feeling the cold without him now i dare say i hope he didn't die of anything catching and I love the perspective of this scene, him being two inches tall, having to watch it all from below. Uh-huh. Because we've, I just love the placement of all the different perspectives of Scrooge. Watching face-to-face, watching from above, watching from below, you know? They're all relevant, depending it, on what we're looking at. It's about 
it's it plays to the theme of him shifting his own perspective of the world, you know? You're right about that. And for him to hear Dilber talk about him so f- nasty, you know? <laughs> and the way the way his voice is like very high pitched right now. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> the best he had. Mrs. Dibber. Would have been wasted only for me. You're fired. Fired. How do you mean wasted? Somebody was fool enough to put it on him to be buried in. <laughs> but I took it off him. <laughs> when the spirit then subsequently, because he gets mistaken, for, well, he doesn't get mistaken. He gets swatted on by old Joe because he's next to a very large mouse or rat. <laughs> it's a rat. And like he just gets jettisoned out of that, you know, vision. <laughs> Coming back to normal size, pleading with the spirit. I've had enough. This is whack. But this is when the spirit shows him the body in the bed. That's covered by the sheet. And he won't look at it again this is some strong denial he has to know it's him or he would not have this many emotions about it when the spirit takes its skeletal hand and pulls the sheet back even just a little bit we can see it's his head we know it's him mm-hmm. but he's still in denial of it he's afraid to say it out loud like he thinks that he's gonna make it real by speaking it out loud and he says spirit Show me someone who is emotional about the fact that I am dead. And the spirit's like, okay. I picture, <laughs> yeah, licks the finger and turns the page. Yeah. Like... And then this mem- this vision opens up of these two people. And at first they look upset, but they are, you know, creditees of his. They are people he's lent money to. It's a husband and a wife. And the husband's like, he is dead. Dead. Oh. <laughs> To whom will our debts be transferred? I don't know, but by then we'll have the money, and even if we don't, it's unlikely any new creditor will ever be so merciless. We shall sleep tonight with light hearts, my dear. Let me see some tenderness connected to death, or this chamber will forever haunt me! And he's like, oh, fuck, well, I don't know about that! And the line that's always repeated throughout multiple iterations is, show me some tenderness. If you don't show me something soft right now, I may just collapse into myself like a dying star. And I love that the spirit's like, okay, and then proceeds to show him something rough as hell. Yeah, because guys, I don't know if you remember from like, 12 minutes ago, but Ghost of Christmas Present said, if these shadows remain unaltered, Tiny Tim will die. And we drop in on the aftermath of Tiny Tim leaving this world in what I'm sure was a painful and horrific way. The crutch in the corner. Past your father's time. He's he's walked slow these last few evenings. He has walked with Tiny Tim on his shoulders fast, indeed. But he, he was very light to carry. Your father loved him so. He's sitting on the staircase. Yeah. Watching these people grieve. And, oh, poor Mrs. Cratchit. You know, mm-hmm. she's, she's sobbing. And Bob comes home and he's sobbing and talking about how he's made a promise that he he will visit Tiny Tim every Sunday at the grave. Yeah. 
he's just returning from picking out his burial plot. Like, their youngest boy. You know, we've already been talking about this on Patreon, but no parent should have to bury their child. Yeah. And the only reason they are burying their child... Is because they couldn't afford to keep him alive. And you know what? I decided I wasn't going to talk about this, but I am going to talk about this. Somebody recently did the math of what Scrooge pays Cratchit every week, adjusted for inflation, and then converted it to American dollars. Most of the state's minimum wage are less than what Scrooge was paying Cratchit. Most of us are literally living at below Cratchit wages right now. Oh my god. I know. Doesn't that make you sick? Yeah, it does. And Yeah, it fucking does. And many of us right now are struggling not only to pay bills, but to keep ourselves and our children fed and to keep the bank from taking our house. And the fact that the bar is that fucking low, that it's below Ebenezer Scrooge levels, should all shock you. To see the misery brought by oneself must be crushing. And it must be crushing, or else the world will remain the wretched place that it is. I know. I know what you mean by that. The cognitive dissonance that is present in so many Scrooges of our time mm-hmm. that does not seem to be present in him. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something that I find truly fictional. Mm-hmm. He does not have a huge dissonance with all of this. It's still, da- I mean, it does take the whole time, but it, do- it does take four ghosts visiting him. It still dawns on him when Bob goes up the stairs. And they accidentally meet eye contact, even though they can't, like, Scrooge can see Cratchit, but Cratchit can't see him. Yeah. And having to look into the eyes of the man whose child he definitely had a role in killing, that is so much. And then I love this. Scrooge asks the question of the spirit. Spectre. Something tells me our parting moment is at hand. Tell me. Was that man we saw lying dead? (laughs) The spirit's response to that is to tear the house apart. (laughs) To yeet him. He goes flying straight into the graveyard. Oh, here we go. This is the moment, right? Here we are, folks. The fucking incident. This is terrifying it is from an existential point of view because you know we're in a graveyard it's like in the middle of a windstorm and the spirit points to this headstone covered in snow the spirit's also colossal now yeah no big bad big bad scrooge is pleading with him to give him an answer are these the shadows of things that will be or are they the shadows of things that may be only is this something that can be fixed i mean shit like (laughs) it's so dramatic and the spirit again won't answer just continues to wipe away more snow from that stone with every question wrong time but scrooge is an aries okay just saying (laughs) 
All right. Because, yeah, the more snow comes away from that headstone, we're seeing more information about his death, and he dies on Christmas Day. 1843. Ah! You know what I love about this? What? The book was published a week before Scrooge was supposed to die. Why show me this if I've lost all hope? Spirit! Spirit, assure me that I may change these shadows you've shown me. Change them by an altered life! He's getting sucked into his own grave. No, the way the ground opens up and he's clinging to the edge of this grave. Begging with the spirit not to do this. (laughs) I'm sorry that we're giggling, but his pain is funny like a little like he's hanging on to a root above an open coffin (gasps) engulfed in red light I ha- you know me. I have a thing. Always have about being buried about alive. About burial. Uh huh. I. I'm gonna pull these down. No, I, I, don't pull the curtains down. I'm sorry. It I hasn't just, happened yet. Yeah, Hold you're, on. Right, you're right. You're right. <laughs> and like he looks up into the spirit's face, and then you just get that flash. Of, of its eyes. Yes, we see its eyes and his 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 scream, and he's like. He's like, okay, fuck, I'll keep Christmas. I will, I promise. Spirit, I will honor Christmas in my heart until you keep it all here. I will not shut out the lessons of the past, nor present, nor future. Oh, please, Spirit, tell me I may sponge away the writing on that stone. Falling down the grave. Uh Uh-huh. And when he hits that coffin, he's just falling out of bed again. Yeah, he's just falling. Ross, my question is, how did he get tangled up in his bed curtains like that? Because he was flailing. He wrapped his leg into the curtain, (laughs) wrapped it around his leg, and hung himself from his own bed. (laughs) Now he's just dangling like two inches off the floor. And guess what? He's still here. Yeah, the bed curtains are still here. He's still here. He's dancing. Yes. He's merry. Yes. He has cheer. He's happy to be alive. Yeah. And not in a grave somewhere. Which we've all been there, guys. We've all had dreams and nightmares where we're going to die. Uh-huh. And then we wake up and we're fine and we're like, oh, thank the good Lord redeeming Christ. Like <laughs> Or whatever you pray exactly, to. Exactly, like... And he goes directly to the window, throws it open, and there's that little boy toting the sled. I say, what's today? Eh? What's today, my fine fellow? Today? What Christmas day? It's Christmas day! I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. They can do anything they like. Of course they can. Of course they can. <laughs> he gets that boy to help him arrange for the prized turkey at the Polterers to be sent to the Cratchit house, right? You know what my favorite part of this is? What? When he comes sliding in like Bob Seger at the top of the stairs. <laughs> and Mrs. Dilber is like polishing the <laughs> banister. Yeah, he goes, Mrs. Dilber! Like he's being... <laughs> Like, he's gonna fuck with her, you know? And she's like, why why are you animated right now? 
Why are you moving around like that? You don't move around. Like she thinks he's lost his mind. It's hilarious. Like and so he, the way he's being joyous is scaring the shit out of her. She literally runs out of the house screaming. It's so funny. And so he gets dressed in his best. He takes to the streets, walking to Fred's, presumably. Singing with the carolers and riding along, dragging along behind coaches on the ice. (laughs) Wishing everyone a Merry Christmas. And he encounters those men who are raising money for the poor and pledges an undisclosed but very shocking amount. And also, it's like he doesn't need the cane. Right? You know what I'm saying? The cane he's been walking with? It's like, I don't know, being less evil makes you less decrepit somehow. (laughs) I don't know. And so he goes to Nephew Fred's, the dinner he was invited to. He's walking in on the yes and no questions where he's about to be called an ass. Yeah. And like he comes in the door and Fred's like, oh my God. Uncle Scrooge. Well, bless my soul. I've come to dinner, if you'll have me. And it's just that pause, and Fred's like, Of course, Uncle! Welcome, welcome! Merry Christmas! This is my Uncle Oh, fucking course, buddy! Welcome! (laughs) It's Uncle Scrooge, everybody! And, like, he has dinner with them... And it's very, very... Oh, no. Yeah, you're going to cry. I wrote, I'm crying again. I'm crying. Shit. When they're around the dinner table and he's like, I insist on doing this for all of you next year. You know, like... Because you can't take it with you. Yeah. You can't take your money to the grave. So spend it today. And then next day... When we see that Bob Cratchit's a little late for work. He's 16 minutes late. And he's going to fake him out. I love, listen, I know the fake out shitty, like in a social sense, but I love the fake out every time because Bob Cratchit has no idea how much better his life's about to get. I'm not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, and therefore, I am about to raise your salary. (laughs) Merry Christmas to you, Bob. (laughs) And Bob looks like if a strong breeze hit him, he would have fallen right over. (laughs) Like, Scrooge pledges to not only raise his salary, but to help him with the mortgage on his house. And, you know, Scrooge sends him out to buy more coal for the fire, and Bob leaves the counthouse and then turns directly to the camera. Yeah, yeah. To give us this closing narration. It's just straight Gary Oldman from here on out. <laughs> and Scrooge was better than his word. He did all that he said he would, and more. And to our tiny Tim, who got wealth, Scrooge was like a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master. As good a man as the good old city ever knew. I like that Scrooge kind of took to the kid. Yeah. I think he needed to. Yeah. He needs to reach back through time and hold the little boy's hand, tell himself and him that it's going to be okay. I, I hope that that's healing for Scrooge. Because that's my thing about this whole story, is that redemption is possible. Atonement is a different thing. It is. making making amends reparations is a different thing but i think that every human being 
is better than the worst thing they've ever done. They just have to use their time wisely and recognize and atone and redeem themselves for it. Absolutely. Because I think Scrooge is capable. And if Scrooge is capable, why shouldn't the rest of us be? Exactly. And it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. And so, as Tiny Tim observed... God bless us, everyone! story does at the end of it give me a renewed sense of hope i know and you're like oh no hope's dangerous not hope you know like but like you also want to believe that these people in the world with the amount of hoarded wealth they do have are capable well that's the thing that dickens stories tell teach us right Mm -hmm. not just a christmas carol Oliver Twist has a similar message. Mm-hmm. Great Expectations has a similar message. Mm-hmm. You know, you you want to believe through the eyes of a little boy that, that things can and will be better, you know? It takes audacity of human spirit. Yeah. And that's what people need at Christmas time. The world is cold and dismal at Yuletide. It's part of why Christmas is what it is. Everybody's like, oh, wait, you need to remember the true meaning of Christmas, which is res- which is celebrating Christ's birth. No, yes, it's about Jesus' birthday. Even though that's probably not when Jesus was born. But essentially, for most people living in the Northern Hemisphere, Christmas time is about lifting our wretched spirits in this cold, dark plain we live in, in the middle of winter, when shit is especially rough. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, and there are actual misers like Scrooge making more money than they can spend in ten lifetimes and hoarding it, when that money they don't need could actually reverse the trajectory of somebody's life. Indeed, indeed. And like Abhorrent. It is! And like, I'm hoping more than one person with exorbitant wealth is being visited by three spirits in this Yuletide season! If the world's billionaires got together, they could fix the world, but like... <laughs> But they won't. But no, they, it's theirs, see? Oh. They didn't exploit anybody getting there either. No, not a single soul. Oh, sarcasm. Everyone should be on their knees with gratitude that I have billions of monies. I hate everything. I do too. This, this year's <laughs> been a dumpster fire, but you know what hasn't been a dumpster fire? What? The amount of fantastic content you have generated this year, my friend. And you know what? I love you for that. No, you have been working and working and working and working. I know you say you love it. I know you say it's what makes you happy. But damn, if you don't be shedding some tears over the overwhelm. And you know what, Carrie? I don't care if no one listens to this podcast. It's special because it's your labor of passion and love. And it's also a labor of love for me. Oh, I'm and please cry. don't cry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. And you know what? I don't care if you if I don't care if this makes you feel stupid or awkward. Can you please insert an applause track? Because I'm gonna start <laughs> clapping. 
and, and whoever's listening to this, please start clapping as well. A round of applause for the editor-in-chief of Kicking and Streaming. And sorry, Mon Productions, Carrie Ann McMichael, everybody. Come on! Yes! Guys, that's our last show for 2023. I know, I know. And you know what? What a great season four. It was. I do feel very solid about the body of work that we've put out this year. And to the 50 of you that listen. Thanks for spending another year. Yeah. We love you guys. Every We love everyone on Main Feed. We love all the little onions at the five over there on Patreon. And that's what makes me sad to say that we're going to take a longer hiatus than usual. Yeah, guys. You know, you usually are without us for 30 days there at the beginning of the year, but... We're going to double time because we've worked super hard this year and we fucking deserve it, damn it. Yeah, we're going to take a chance to rest, replenish, and get ready for 2024. We're going to spend that time to make some changes to our studio down here, which is the blankets under which to speak loudly. Yes, no, we'd love to. We've been doing this knee to knee for four years, and (laughs) I think we'd both like some space. So we're going to work a little bit on that for you guys. And we're also going to plan more long form content for you this new year. If you're on Patreon, you're still going to be getting your guaranteed two posts a month. But as far as main feed goes, we'll be seeing you in March. Yeah, guys, we'll be back with you Monday, March the 4th. (laughs) And, you know, we hope you don't forget us in the interim. But if you need to scratch your kicking and streaming itch, there's never been a better time to go check out the Patreon. And there's thousands of minutes of content to keep you warm through the winter. And you know, it's just $5. It's just $5. You sign up, you pay that $5, and bam, if you don't get all of it. Yeah. All of it. And in the meantime, please go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. That's a K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. We might lose Twitter in 2024. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? You can write the show at kickingandstreamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's with an and and not an ampersand. And guys, at the end of the year, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party and to see that Elon bought the app to control the narrative. Yes, I feel like that's (laughs) well established. (sighs) Little onions. More quality content coming to you from kicking and streaming. Until then. I am Carrie. And I am Ross. And as always, sorry, Sorry, Mom. Mom.